Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host, and today we have joining us again, Kirsty Miles. Kirsty is a team lead at PDT, and she is in charge of all of the Southern Pines area, including our clinic and all the places we go down there and the people all who are associated with that area, which is a lot of people. And she also <laughs> helps me with a lot of the stuff over here in Fayetteville, too. So between she and I, we make this place rock and roll and work. So as we were preparing for this podcast, we were thinking about what we do. Kirsten has spent a lot of time in the field. We truly are working therapists, and we spend a lot of our time working with therapists, little kiddos that come to PDT, and one of the things we concentrate on are evaluations, helping therapists of all different levels, brand new therapists, therapists with a few years experience, therapists with a lot of years experience, writing evals, updating plan of cares, writing goals, and various levels of that. So What we help some therapists with in terms of brand new therapists to the field is very different than what we may do with a therapist with a lot of experience. I mean, I frequently say, Kirsty, what in the world? This is what I've got. This, 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 and this. What do you think? So sometimes we're helping ourselves in this process. But needless to say, we are working and doing our job. So as we're getting ready, we thought, hey, why don't we do a podcast about evaluations? Yeah, and it should not come as a surprise as therapists. So as therapists, this is what we do. We evaluate and we treat. We get to help people every day. That's our gig. It's a good gig. I like it. So in doing that, Kirsten and I are reviewing the evaluation process. We check in with each other as we are working with therapists and kiddos because we're always trying to get better, trying to get better. It's kind of how we're hardwired. That's what we do with our little people, and that's what we do here at PDT. We help things get better. So as we're working through this evaluation process, we thought, okay, what's a good acronym that we can use that describes all the various parts of the evaluation process, finding out what this child's area of strength is and area of need is, and then pinpoint on what we're going to do. So what's an acronym that we use that really describes the whole process? And so we came up with ESCAPE. Not like they're trying to escape therapy or our therapy isn't fun because listen to another podcast and I'll tell you, we really focus hard on our therapy being fun. We believe it should be, but escape meaning that as soon as that child walks through the door and you see that child, your goal and focus is to help them exit. Our goal is exit. When we were coming up with this, Kirsty, why don't you kind of explain how we figured this out? This past weekend, my husband and I, we did one of those escape rooms. We just thought it would be fun. I love a challenge. So when he's Well, I didn't really communicate very well with him. He thought we were going out to dinner. And then I was like, oh, this whole escape room thing. So he's like, oh, okay. So which one did you sign us up for? And I told him. And so he went online and looked at it. And he goes, so you picked the 10 out of 10 room? And I'm like, why not? If we're going to do it, let's do something hard. What fun is it to say if we got off easy? I mean, let's do the hardest one. Anyway, it's fun. I feel like that's an evaluation. It's all the detective work mm-hmm. and coming up with the answer. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's really fun when you get out. And so I guess I kind of equated that to therapy, like the whole escape room. And that's kind of big right now. If you've not done one, they're really fun. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of how I feel about an eval. I look at evals. I don't think they're like, oh, an eval, another eval. I'm like, yes, I get to learn something new. I get to meet a new person, a new family, get to be a part of what they're going through and help them along the way. So I think all of that and then working to get them out of therapy and help them to be better than when they came in, not better in a sense of like we can cure whatever it is, but we can either make them more functional, whether it be physically or as a communicator. We have the potential to do that and we have the knowledge and the resources to be able to help them. So I think that's the fun part. And for me, it kind of is a game. I love it about. 
I say this all the time too, you know, just because there's a certain thing written on the doctor's order doesn't mean that you kind of get a picture in your head of how the child will present, but that doesn't really mean that's how the child will present. So, and so it's really cool to figure out, okay, what makes this little person talk? What are all the scenarios and the situations happening with this little person? And now how can we best help? I love an avow. I think it's a good time. I do too. I think people get so hung up in the nitty gritty of the write-up that goes along with an avow, but it's only because, and you and I have had this discussion multiple times this week about it's being overcomplicated. Like go back to your basics, go back to the simplification of it. You're overthinking it. A lot of times people get so trapped in these vows and they make them so much more complicated than they need to be. But if you go back to your basics and what you know and start there, it really is not that. And then we can teach you the logistics of how to write it up and how to follow what insurance wants and that sort of thing. But I think the avowal is the fun part. Me too. And I think it's a good point you're bringing up about go back to your basics and don't overthink it. Because if you really think about an avowal from a speech therapist perspective, and each discipline has their own categories of basics. But for me, the way I think is I always think expressive language, receptive language, speech, oral motor, voice fluency. I mean, if you just take it to very basic, that makes it easier for me and simplify it. And then you build or take away from there. Yeah. And I know that OT and PT each have their own categories, but that's how I think about it. Well, no, I think that's what gets us started. So when we're talking about simplifying it and we're talking about, you know, where do you start with an eval? Well, you know, you have an evaluation. So we've got the E. We know we have to do an eval today. So we look at, okay, this is what the doctor's order says. 90% of the time it says evaluate and treat. They're sending them to us so we can figure out what they need. (laughs) Um, Yes. Yeah. So it's so descriptive. (laughs) Every once in a while, we might get a diagnosis code, like a medical diagnosis, but really they're sending them to us because they want our clinical opinion on this child. Exactly. And so you do have to think, all right, so what's the basics here? Let me check each one of the boxes here. And then how can I best help this child? That's what the evaluate and treat is. And then because ultimately the plan is to discharge. So the plan is not to leave in therapy forever. It's to discharge. So I'm always thinking about discharge. So in the eval, I'm thinking, okay, so where do we want to go long term? And let's back it up. And that's when you say simplify, go back to the basics. That really helps me a lot. I think PDT is not a practice where, you know, we get asked this question in interviews a lot too. So will you see a child from the time they enter, you know, therapy services until they're 21. Well, that's not the idea here. We've done other podcasts where the whole focus of therapy is to get them out and involved in the community. We're looking to get them into programs so they don't need that specialized instruction from a therapist. That's our goal in thinking about exit is, well, what do they need to get to that level? And how can we help with that? If they're coming to us with the parent's intention of, well, they're going to get therapy once or twice a week and I'll wait in the waiting room and go ahead, you do your thing behind the doors and then send them back out to me and quote unquote fix them or make them normal. I don't even know what that word normal means anymore. I mean, you know, we've heard people say like normal is a setting on a a dishwasher. Like we don't (laughs) have that. Our goal is not to see kids till they're 21. And at PDT, we are constantly trying to reiterate to therapists, you want to have an expected plan for discharge and how you're getting that parent involved right from the get-go and developing that partnership so that you can get to that point is all really important. So I think that is all things that we consider when we look at, okay, we have an evaluation. So like just the E part of this escape, like you said, the mindset there is, okay, the parents are going to partner with me in that. It's not a matter of dropping off 
off speech therapy twice a week for 30 minutes. So I go back there and quote unquote fix, you know, it's a partnership. You and I were in this boat together. Here's your oar. I got my oar and let's start paddling. So that's the mindset. When I'm in there, I'm like, you and me, we're in this together with your little person. Cause for this point in time, when your child is here with me, one of your most special people is one of my most special people. But I need you to be partner with me because you're the part of this situation and we're going to help them get better. Yep. We're in this together. And so that you have to go into every evaluation, every treatment session with that mindset. And so that's where you get that parent buy-in. We talk a little bit about being set up from that beginning to step into that role and have that partnership with the parent is so important because outpatient therapy, and I've said this to a number of therapists now, outpatient therapy or even going into a home. I mean, if you look at a mm-hmm. home visit, which we do that also, mm-hmm. you're partnering with the family. You're not leaving your magic toys there that they play with. You're working in their environment. And how can you implement things in their home that they can do every day until you get back the next session to say, oh, how did that go? Okay, now we're ready for this step. So you're really there to kind of guide and drive that bus. But the parent which is where we're about to go to in a minute. Mm-hmm. The parent already told you where the bus is going. Oh, yeah. My mother said a long time ago, Hayden, you love anybody that loves your child. And I know that's a different way to look at it a little bit. But basically what that means to me in terms of therapy and professional therapy way to look at it is any parent buys in. If they know that, you look, I'm here to really help you and help your child. I'm bought into the situation. I'm part of this group. Then parents usually buy in to your plan and what you're doing with their child. They have to understand that you're bought in. You want to be there to help their kiddo. I think that whole mindset is key to being successful really in therapy. So if we start with E, E is the eval, and that's our mindset, that's our concept, that's our belief here at PDT about the way the eval should be done and the mindset going into it. And so that's what we start with, and that's the foundation we're working off of. You and I, we're part of this together, therapist, family, team approach, and therapist is creating the plan, and we'll get more to that. But parents are buying in, they're a part of the session, they're carrying home the stuff. That's how you get your consistency in therapy and them attendance, and that's also how you get your home exercise program carried through. So really that mindset's key. The next part is the S. Mm-hmm. So that's where you take your history and you get the story of why are they here? What are they coming in for? And so we've had therapists try to, you know, we want the, when we're scheduling the evaluation to get as much information as we can. It will help the therapist know, okay, what are the parents' primary concerns? So maybe they know what test to pull if they have to do a standardized test. But can we put a checklist at the front desk and ask all the questions that are going to pertain to the medical history of this patient? Not even close. No. Kirsten, I hear this all the time. Well, I need to know all the medical stuff so I know exactly what test to pull. That's not going to help you know what test to pull. (laughs) It's all happening in real time. And so I do pull certain tests because there's some sort of standard go-to speech test that we all like a standardized test. I don't love a standardized test, so let's all be real clear about that. But (laughs) but in the speech world, when you do an eval, there's an expectation that usually, for at least for the initial eval, that you're going to get a standardized score. And I know for PT and OT, it can be different, but still. So I do have my go-to test I pull based on things I know potentially about the patient coming in, but it's all in real time. So I'm not afraid to be like, you know what? I pulled these tests, but guess what? I'm going to grab some different because what does this person need right now, right then? If I go in the mindset of like, well, these are the tests I pull, these are what I have to give. Well, then all of a sudden I've made this whole thing about me. It is not about me. So I have to change my plan. So pull a different test or pull a different something else. So let me also go back to the E part of this thing real quickly. You only have an hour to get this done. And for PT and OT, you have less. You have 45 minutes, really. Not our rules. That's because they set that. 
when they changed the coding and they changed it to a low, moderate, or high complexity evaluation, they basically dictated how long it should take to do those. So they set the time frame on those, which means you don't have a lot of time to take a history. You do not have 30 minutes to Uh -uh. hear everything that has happened since day one of birth or goodness, you hear all the complications with the pregnancy, everything from day one of conception. I mean, (laughs) so you have to communicate to the family that, yes, I want to hear your story and I bought in, but the clock is ticking because by the time this child leaves, you got to have a plan and you got to know the strengths, weaknesses or the strengths, areas of concern. I give myself about five to seven minutes and that's it. But I can get all the pertinent information I need in that five to seven minutes to get enough information of the story to get me going so that I know what I need to do next. So, for example, if the pregnancy was complicated, I don't need that whole story. All I need to know is were they born early or are they on time? Also, I don't have to know if a child with this coming in for speech, if they're coming in, walking and sitting by themselves and moving around, then I don't need to know all the developmental milestones. They're walking. Now, are they walking a little bit funny, you know, then I might say, hey, what about a PT referral maybe at the end or next session or something? But I don't have to know all the developmental milestones. That's not important. I just need to know early or on time and then major medical stuff on from that and then moving on. And we don't need to know necessarily like they were in the NICU for four Mm -hmm. months on Mm -hmm. CPAP and then they Mm -hmm. progressed to nasal cannula and great they are out of the NICU now and they're in outpatient (laughs) therapy so let's deal with the now (laughs) yes that's exactly so I need to know look and they were in the NICU for how early were they they're out of the NICU now did they have a brain bleed that's the main thing I want to know if they were born premature did they have a IVH of any sort so for me I just need to know if they had a brain bleed and how early they were did they have any kind of IVH at all and then I move on to next things like I usually ask about ear infections do they have a lot of those have they had a history of reflux any other major medical problems and then I'm move on to, okay, concerns, why are you here? Anything you have to add to that, Kirsty? Well, I think too, while I'm getting the story, I'm also either I've put the child down or I've given them something to do. And mm-hmm. out of the corner of my eye, I'm watching everything that they're doing. I'm oh, watching yeah. how they're doing it. I'm watching their interaction. So mm-hmm. I'm getting history, but I've also already started my mm-hmm. clinical assessment mm-hmm. because They're getting used to the environment, they're getting acclimated, but I'm not putting any demands on them, but I'm also watching what they're doing. So I think that that's really important to note that you got to go with these evals. So you got to get started. You know, as physical therapists, when we're in school and in clinicals and everything, you're trained right from the get-go to your eval starts and your treatment session starts from the time you walk into the waiting room. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it starts even before, like when we're doing, for example... Back when, you know, I've done outpatient and let's say you have like a workman's comp case. Well, you're watching like, how did that patient get Mm -hmm. out of the car? Mm -hmm. Oh, they're just, they're just throwing their bags in the back. Like there's no pain there. Look at that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, so I mean, it starts. Mm -hmm. And you document all that because it's all real and related to what's happening. So I think all that's important, too, when you're taking the history. Like, there's other stuff going on. If you think you're going to sit there for 30 minutes in a chair at a table Mm -mm. with a child sitting quietly on mom's lap, Mm -mm. that is not how this is going to go down. No, (laughs) actually. And if that's your expectation, I think you need to recalibrate. Actually, I start my assessment. Like, for speech therapists, we're looking at the pragmatic skills. I have to start looking at all that stuff and how do they transition from the waiting room back there with the mom? How do they communicate with the parents that, hey, because I'll talk to the mom, introduce myself, a little person ready to go play. And I'm like, okay, grab your mom. Hey, come on. I always say, come on, tell your mom, let's go to include them. And then I start my assessment right then because how they communicate that to the mom tells me a ton. What you said right there, I think, is takeaway. Stop the podcast, write it down, and then turn it back on. So then we go into the C. And the C is 
their concerns, parents' concerns. I end my time of my birth history with, okay, so tell me a little bit, what are your concerns? And I have some questions to ask around that, but I always ask, what are their concerns? For you, I think you start that earlier than I do. Yeah, it depends how the conversation's going and where they fall. It might be because sometimes, you know, like depending on what's on the doctor's order, it might be. So what brings you in today? Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's a concern that brought them in today. So it depends how the story and the concerns are flowing. But yeah, the caregiver concerns, that should be driving your whole evaluation. We could come out with the best laid out plan. But if the family's like, you know what, that's not really what I want for my child. Well, it should not be solely our plan. Mm -hmm. Our job is to educate so we could educate them on different aspects of what we think to be the next steps. But if that's not where they want their child to go, then we have to listen to that. Mm -hmm. This is where I might ask a few leading questions to sort of get them to the point of the concerns because for speech, it can be very broad. So, you know, what are your concerns? Oh, well, I don't really understand anything he's saying, but sometimes that means he's also not talking. So that's where I start really asking questions about, okay, so how does he communicate with others? How much do you understand? Half, 25%, mm -hmm. 50%, 75%? I start kind of giving those sort of leading questions to narrow me down because I'm still on the clock. I'm still timing, you know? So we've had the case too. I feel like the parent concerns are so important because number one, we should be asking what the goals are. If it's a younger child that can express what the concerns are. We do have older children mm -hmm. and I can describe that in just a minute. But for our little ones, usually it's the parent concerns. Well, what if the parent don't have any concerns? What if they're just following the doctor's orders and the doctor sent the referral? So now we have to do a little bit of education. So our job is to educate the parent. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we get babies with torticollis. Well, the parent doesn't really know a whole lot about that. So now our job is to then educate. And so not that I'm trying to scare a parent by any means. But my hope for this child is they have the best advantage as they grow up. And so if I educate the family about what can be a potential hurdle down the road because of the torticollis or what some things are that they might see down the road, if it goes untreated, I kind of get their buy-in on why we need to do something about this and why we need to do it now and why we intervene now. So it's really important for me to hear if there are no concerns. I think that's just as important if there are concerns. So now if there are concerns, I'm listening to those concerns and that's what's driving me to go into the next part, which is my assessment. So I take those concerns then and I carry them over into what I'm assessing. I have an older child, let's say, and this happened. The older child came in and I said, you know, so what are some things that you really, really want to be able to do at home that you either can't do or that you would like to be able to do that we can help you with? And I had one little girl tell me, I want to be able to do a backflip. And I was like, mm, honey, <laughs> I am not the person to teach you that because I don't know how. But I said, so we can't do that here. I mean, probably if you can do a backflip, you really don't need us. <laughs> but anyway, after a little more digging and if the parent was there, I'd cue them in to help me out here. But what if like bike riding? She's like, right. oh, I'd like to be able to keep up with my friends. I can't ride a bike with no mm -hmm. training wheels. Well, okay. So you want to be able to ride a bike. So now my job in my assessment, I could do a standardized test, but what's that going to tell me about her bike riding ability? So I'm going to have to now lay hands upon this child to figure out why can't she ride a bike? Well, through the assessment, my goal is to figure out what are the primary deficits that are inhibiting her from riding a bike. That's the meat of my assessment. That's the meat of my skilled intervention and why she needs physical therapy. So I got that though from the concerns, from the what do they want out of therapy. Mm -hmm. That's where I gathered, oh, where is this evaluation going to go? Now, no front desk would have been able to pull all mm -hmm. of that 
to give you on your schedule to tell you what sort of test you're going to need. No. That's what you do as a skilled therapist to get to that point. Yep, that's what you're doing in real time. And I agree with that whole education piece. I don't want to scare anybody at all, especially for a little one. But I do kind of like to give an idea of, okay, so typically for a child at 12 months, we like for them to have single words at, you know, around age 18 months. We like, you know, for a child somewhere 18 months to two years, you know, around two years, at least 50 single words. That's actually a little bit of a low ball. But you know, if your child is two and only has one word, I don't want to freak them out too bad. But I want to say, hey, you know, we're a little off the mark here. And then at age two, like for kids to start combining some words together and following single step directions, understanding, you know, some objects and identify. I do like a kind of thing like that. So it kind of gives an idea without scaring them, but honest look of like, okay, so this, we're a little off the mark in this situation or where we're off the mark. And so here's what I'd like to really work on. So I know we're kind of getting down to the goal thing, but I do honor their concerns, hear them. And then I circle back around at the end too, to say, okay, so here's kind of where we are, you know, compared mm -hmm. to typical quote unquote, that whole expected developmental progression. So those parent concerns, I agree with you. They really write your goals. They start to really kind of give the foundation and the buy-in. And that's really how you communicate to the parent. Look, I'm bought in. Now, if the parent's like, you know, they're age two and they would like for them to speak in five word sentences, then I also have to say, okay, so here's what's typical for a two-year-old. And so your child is actually progressing right along as expected for you know, speech and language development. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. So sometimes we have the opposite, like, hey, he's doing great. You know, he's right on course, you know. So I think it works both ways sometimes. We are going to stop right here today and we're going to pick it up next time on part two. So thanks everybody for listening. You can check out more podcasts on theworkingtherapist.com as well as at pediatricdt.com. And I'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com.